Happy versus Flourishing, episode 19. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas and ways you can improve your life in some way or, or another. Uh, this week's episode is with a guy called Wesley Tan who runs a couple of gymnasiums in the Gloucestershire area and it's for adults helping them with gymnastics and for many people listening the only time you ever maybe come across gymnastics is every four years at the Olympics or maybe it's something your daughter does but there's a I don't know if it's a growing trend but we're going to hear why gymnastics is so beneficial for adults in so many different ways and so that's uh, that's to come very soon with Wesley Tan. If you do like this episode, why not share it with someone who you feel could get some real benefit from it? Uh, why not subscribe and leave a review? Let us know what you think about the podcast. And that really helps for other people to, to decide if it's something for them or not. Hope you enjoy this week's episode with Wesley. Welcome to Happy Versus Flourishing. Today, my guest is Wesley Tan. How are you, Wes? I'm great. Thank you, Tony. And you're living in a, a lovely little place called Stroud. I am, yes, in the South Cotswolds. <laughs> and you've, uh, well, I mean, you originally, same as me, because I'm now living in Stroud, and uh, you're, but you're from London as well, aren't you? Yeah, London boy from um, West London, Westbourne Park, Portobello area. Originally. Wow, I, I used to work around there when I was about 10 years old. Oh, right. Well, on the market? I did a milk, or... did a milk run, delivering milk. Ah, how funny. <laughs> yeah. And then when did you move to Stroud? Uh, we, I came to Stroud with my partner Claire in 2008, I think it was the February, and um, um, yeah, we just graduated from the British School of Osteopathy in London, where we met, and um, we, when we graduated, we went travelling to China and Nepal for three months, mm. when we came back, we were expecting a baby, and so we had about, I think it was maybe eight months in London, and then... Um, yeah, then we found a job in Stroud and basically upped and moved, didn't know anyone and started a new life. And what was it made you choose Stroud? Um, we, well, we didn't, we didn't really choose Stroud. Um, I think Stroud found us and we found Stroud. Um, we were very clear how we wanted to, how we wanted our life to be. Mm. Uh, and when I say clear, I mean clear on the feelings. We wanted to... Uh, no longer live in a big built-up city where I'd right. you know, always been from. And we wanted a slightly slower um, pace to life, somewhere more rural. Mm -hmm. um, and because we knew we were going to have a family, we knew that, well, I knew I didn't want to always be a, uh, an absent father or someone mm -hmm. who was always at work. So we wanted to work close to home, etc. So we had, we were very clear on how we wanted to live our life. We just didn't have the details, mm. um, the where and the when exactly. But everything just came into place. It kind of came in at the right time. Opportunities arose and we just said, yes, yes, yes. And here we are. And so what, initially you just set up a practice as osteopath? So it was my 30th birthday in November um, in London. And one of the girls who we studied with, her name was Megan, she was originally, well, she's an Australian and she was working in Stroud. So when we graduated during the summer of 2007, uh, mm -hmm. we went traveling and Megan ended up working um, for an osteopath who was already established in Stroud. 
And at that birthday party, she told me she was actually returning home to Australia. Mm. And why didn't I think about taking her place? Mm. Um, and it just came up in conversation. And so we were like, okay. So we, we contacted the lady that she was working for um, at the time, uh, mm -hmm. an osteopath, Sarah, Sarah Spencer Chapman. And, um, yeah, we came to visit one day on the train. We didn't know anything about the place, and we just said, yeah, it felt right. It was very green, and that was it. And, and we left mm -hmm. London. And how did it, how was it setting up all that? Well, starting working here. Um, so we, we came, we hired a man and a van, and we packed not many belongings into that, drove to Stroud. The first three months that we actually lived with Sarah, Um, whilst we were running her practice because she was actually abroad in Africa and um, yeah that, that was fine and then within those three months we were looking for our own accommodation and we eventually found a, a, a small house to rent in a village called Bisley which is about five miles up the road from Stroud very mm. English old and quaint Cotswold stone and that was great and I carried on working for Sarah for about six to eight months <clears throat> When she returned from Africa, the, unfortunately, there wasn't enough um, clients really for both of us. Mm. And it was a bit of an awkward situation at that point. So we decided to start treating um, clients from our house, Claire and I. Mm. And that was literally to build a practice from scratch. And what we did is we just offered everybody in the village um, free treatment. And it mm. worked. So we got a lot of people through the door, which was a, a room in our house at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, well, the, the village quickly took us in, and we got to know everyone quite well, and, and then that's how it started. And so, what was the transition from that to what you do now, running uh, a gym and doing teaching people gymnastics? So, when I was in London, I I, I always was into my training. Um, when I was seventeen, I I got into kung fu. That was my first, I would say, proper training. Mm. I mean, I'd always been sporty and played football etc but kung fu taught me a lot and the type of training it was it was long sessions four hours when i first started um proper training is in you train i'd say close to like a higher level I, mm -hmm. it wasn't just a hobby um and yeah and then i used to teach that as well i taught whilst i was at uni i, I used to run classes for other students at the british school of osteopathy and then when you kind of moved here you had a family And um, so that all kind of um, ceased. Mm -hmm. And for a few years, I, for, the first, for three years, I was very restless. And um, then we had another son three years later. And I, I remember at that time, I was at quite a low point. I felt a bit not physical, not so strong as I once was. I felt a bit demasculinized as well, if that sounds funny. Mm. Um, but I did have a little setup in my garage at the time. And I just remember missing the social aspect of training, sharing. And so I uh, started um, teaching classes again. And it's funny because at that time, Claire had already started her class. She was doing um, what she calls her stretch and core class for a good 18 months before I did anything. And, and she inspired me actually to, to get back to doing something. And at first I was running classes that were kind of an amalgamation of yoga, um, some of the stuff I'd learned from Kung Fu, and some of the more recent stuff that I was doing involving gymnastics. Mm. It was a bit of an amalgamation. Um, and that's how it first started, I 
think it was 2013. And back then it was called Flexible Strength. <laughs> Hadn't come mm-hmm. up with a more original name. <laughs> and so how did that grow then into Forma? So, and for people listening, because uh, the name of your gym is Forma, F-O-R-M-A. That's correct. Forma. Forma and then like a subline gymnastics fitness. So at first it was one class. For that first year, um, I think the maximum amount of students I had was about eight. And most of them were um, people from the local area that, I, that were patients of mine over the years from osteopathy. Mm-hmm. And a few of them had long-term issues Um, one of them had a neck issue used to get a lot of migraines and stiff neck episodes and there's quite a few people with bad lower backs that would come and go Mm. and I was just saying to them look you can keep coming for treatment every so often when it goes bad or you can train and Mm. you know sort yourself out I can show you what to do and so they bless them they they stuck at it because it's it's one of those things you can't change yourself in a matter of weeks it takes months Mm if not years. And so that first year was slow, and but it wasn't really anything to do with financial. It was just the joy of teaching and sharing and moving. Right. And then over the next few years, it just grew. And then one class became, I think it was two, and then two became, I think it was uh, six or something like that. And then eventually we were running, I think it was like 16 classes a week. And then that was taking up more of my time than, than osteopathy. Mm. And um, yeah, and then we had quite a few students or members who were pretty keen. They'd been training with us for about three years. And um, we actually um, put together our own teacher training course. Mm. And we did a six-month, over a six-month period, we trained, I think it was nine people. Mm. Uh, and then we, the following year, opened up Gloucester and had our own space. Because up until then, we were renting space in another gym. Right. Um, and so how, what did that allow you to do? Once you had your own place, how different was that? You know, how much more freedom, flexibility did that give you? On quite a few points. So when you rent somebody else's space, for one, it's somebody else's. You have to respect their rules. You can't do what you want to the space, for instance, installing equipment and also when you have access to the space, because it was in another gym, and obviously they run their own classes as well. So we always felt um, very grateful for the space, but Mm. at the same time a little bit limited to what we could do, how we could do it. And it all goes even to the design, you know, how you would want to design your own space, how you'd want it to feel. So um, Claire and I, we've always been, we've always put the feeling first. How, how, How do you want something to feel um, how do you want people to feel when they come to train with you? Uh, and then the details come from the feeling as opposed to the other way around. I feel sometimes people focus. You, you need detail, of course, but when you're trying to create something from an idea, I think sometimes if you start on the details, it can get in the way of the creative process. So, yeah, it was good for us to really feel what we wanted and how we wanted, and then and then we did it. Um, and again, this thing of trying to, be open to going with the flow um we were looking for a space to rent in stroud and commercial spaces were were not that easy to come by especially Mm. for use as a gym Mm. and the lady that was helping us search who's now one of our members as well she found the place in gloucester because we originally weren't thinking about it and it just worked Um, Mm. (laughs) yeah 
And did, um, I mean, so once you, you've opened that place, then I guess you've had to enter the whole world of marketing as well to, to get regular clients, I suppose. For yeah, like so everything's kind of been organic. We haven't been crazily commercially driven. And when I say that, I mean, what once you really get into business, I mean, I've learned so much over the last five years from, from running Forma. Um, you do need a certain type of head to deal with the day-to-day business aspects of it. You know, mm. there's a balance sheet. You have to make money. You can't, you can't spend more than you earn, et cetera. Mm. But, so there's a lot to learn from that, um, as well as not losing sight of what former is. Mm. Um, we do it to share something that we love ourselves and we're passionate about. And the balance between the business aspect and that joy must stay, if that makes sense. And, and why the name former? So after, I think it was, we started in 2013. I think it was about 2050. We, it, it was, it was growing. It was evolving. After the first year, I was quite clear that, I taught martial arts and kung fu for over 10 years in London. Mm. Um, I never had a formal teacher training in yoga, but I'd done yoga for over 15 years along with the martial arts training, so I kind of knew what I was doing. But I felt no one was really teaching the the gymnastic aspect to adults. You know, Mm. um, my sons both went to gymnastics um, clubs as youngsters, but there wasn't anywhere for adults to learn. And, And most gymnastic clubs are for children and some do offer adult sessions but mm. they're not structured for a typical adult mm. um, and I feel they don't really know how to approach teaching adults in a structured way mm. so there was a niche and it was fun and it was new and um, so that's how we focused and, I, and so at that time we I'd left the other stuff was focusing on the gymnastics and it was getting busier and we just felt we kind of needed something a bit I think more professional, more creative, more fun. And again, a lot of things are organic. One of our members was a, well, is a graphic design and he specializes in branding. And we sat down and because he had been training with us from the beginning, he was one of our first members. Mm. He was very involved. He came up with a few ideas and Formal was one of them. And um, so that's how Formal was born. And I think so the same year we formed the company. And yeah. Does it stand for anything? No, it, it's it's more everything we do in the class, as you know, uh, in, in the classes, as you know yourself now, it's, it's about mm. shapes. So in gymnastics, yeah. there's the fundamental shapes that you have to learn. So the dish mm. or the arch, and we say things like protraction of the shoulders. So there's very specific ways to, to move and hold the body mm. um, that build the body in a very good way, but are also fundamental to progressing to more advanced stuff more advanced movements and strength. So form, obviously, is always a, mm. an important thing. And I think in uh, Italian, forma means shape, etc. Mm. Um, and Paul was quite creative. He played with the geometry of different shapes to make the you know the logo with squares, triangles, etc. So, yeah, it was to try and um, just follow on from that theme of what we were doing physically and put it into the name. So for people who aren't, who are listening and who aren't familiar with what it is that you do, would you say it is like a blend of yoga and gymnastics? And no. So I think yoga is yoga. I think what we do 
on one level is similar because at the end of the day, a body is a body. Mm. And if you're moving a body, it's never going to be, um, well, there are lots of ways to move a body, but there's going to be crossover. Mm. Um, but the feeling of it and the way it's structured is very different. Um, I think yoga, without meaning to be negative, there is a lot of dogma in it. Mm-hmm. And I think over the last few decades, there's been like a new wave. It's become a bit more modernized and free. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's stuck on the mat. It doesn't use any equipment. There are a lot of, uh, I think the strength element is not as big as, as, it, as it could be. Um, I know some yoga does get you very strong, mm-hmm. but, but, it, but it is fundamentally different, I think. I think gymnastics is is more classically attached to strength and conditioning in, mm-hmm. in, in the form of really pushing the limits and thinking of things maybe in sets or reps, whereas yoga is is not really thought of that way. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may think yoga is a bit more spiritual. Um, I think ultimately not really. Um, it is a physical practice, but you know, when you get deep into anything, it becomes a lot more than purely the physical anyway. But yeah, it's different. In the and for so. people who are listening, maybe think, especially if they're coming from a yoga point of view, they've done many many yoga classes, and they may be thinking, "Oh, what's so important about strength? Is that just for, for macho guys?" I mean, what, what would you say to that? Um, possibly, there there can be a. Um, stereotype of 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 the strong guy and people lifting weights in gyms i think it's a birthright for every human being to be physically strong and i think um it's part of the human condition but it has become uh, an absent part of the modern human condition where you know we've kind of it's not normal to see a strong physique Mm. Um, and i think that's because our way of life has just become more and more sedentary Mm. um yeah i've been thinking about that a lot lately um something that's been on my mind a lot lately is this term elite so you hear you know elite athletes and Mm. and i've actually get into work with some elite athletes now professional athletes and what 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 really defines it for me is it's not just the ability but it's how much they use their body so Mm. if we think of someone working a typical nine to five versus an elite athlete, uh, an elite, an elite athlete is training during the time a normal person is doing the nine to five. Mm. Um, so for me, it's more, it's how much you train. Mm. And there are a lot of people out there that do the normal nine to five that probably have the potential to really be a high level elite athlete and have, and, and don't know it mm. because they've just never, never tapped into it. Um, and with that osteopathy background, I mean, I'm guessing you would realize more than most people, even more, more than most people that are running gyms and training people, what having a lack of strength, what kind of problems that might bring people. Yeah, I mean, one of the clear things over the last decade that I've noticed is when you're stronger, you have more energy levels day to day. Your, your muscles are a store of energy. I mean, they literally store um, sugars you have you have um, carbohydrates store in your liver but mm. your muscular skeletal system your muscles store some as well as well as um, 
myoglobin, which helps for um, blood flow around the body and oxygenation of your of your tissues. So I think when you train and you get stronger and you have a little bit more muscle, you you actually have more energy day to day. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a few of our our members um, who are in the fifties brackets, um, uh, some ladies actually who who train a lot with us. You know, they mm-hmm. do like over five six hours a week, yeah. uh, and they were saying that very thing themselves. They've got a lot of um, colleagues who are always tired or, mm. or, or, or talking about how tired they feel uh, and, and these ladies who happen to be our members are not the same as that you know they feel like they have more energy so strength definitely gives you more it gives you the capacity to do more in your daily mm. life which is a good thing mm. um, and the other thing I found from when we were studying osteopathy we often were taught how to loosen up a stiff body mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that can be quite perplexing is when you're when you come across someone who's very flexible, mm-hmm. or, or the so-called um, hyper mobile um, mm-hmm. patient. Um, they don't need to be loosened up anymore. In fact, they need to be strengthened. But what I found working with the older population, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, the elderly, um, and I'm you know I have my 92 year old nan living with me now. Um, an older body where the muscles have atrophied, mm. they become very stiff and they have no muscle. And mm. so in my head, your skeleton, all the bones in your skeleton are not rigidly stuck to each other. You know, none of the bones are actually touching. They have a fluid-filled sac, a joint space. You know, so mm. there's like a, a barrier. There's a, there's a space where the bones don't actually touch. Um, so they're kind of floating separately from each other. And it's a bit like a puppet. If you imagine a puppeteer holding all the strings and um, once you take the support away uh, or the muscles uh, lose their ability to hold the skeleton, mm. then the skeleton has no choice than, other than to stiffen the joints between the bones to create stability. Mm. So for an older person who's lost a muscle, they become very stiff and if you try to loosen them up, you actually take away their stability, which is a, is a bad thing. Right. So I think you need to maintain your muscular strength in order to allow your bones to move freely in relation to one another. So it kind of sounds uh, like a contradiction, mm. but you need a degree of muscular strength to, mm-hmm. to stay flexible. And what kind of age does that start to deteriorate for, for many people? I don't think it's a biologically determined thing there is no like genetic clock mm. and it starts i think it's more of a, a way you live thing so i think it happens slowly and it happens from school really i think school the modern western school is mm. a is a big problem because mm. you know the young child is full of energy and wants to run around and climb and swing and then once school starts they get we get told to sit still stay still mm. uh, and, and we know it's a problem for for children who are naturally even more energetic than some mm. like the so-called adhd that's just an energetic child um, mm. in my eyes yeah so i think it starts slowly from then so it starts really young and by the time you come out of the education system you know 16 to 18 you've been sitting a lot and, mm. and your participation in sports gets less you leave school most people get a job and that's it. It mm. gets worse and worse. So you just the body is very good 
being efficient. So if you don't use certain things, it doesn't need to maintain them. It's a yeah. waste of resources. So it withers. So if you don't need that much muscle, it won't maintain. Um, yeah, so it's like a slow process. Um, I remember hearing, I don't know if you're familiar with Katie Bowman. No, you're she's to she's a, um, a biomechanic in, and she's got a lot of books that she's written and podcasts and stuff. But I remember, I can't remember word for word, but she said something along the lines of a lot of people think they go for to, to the gym for maybe an hour in the morning and then the rest of the day they're just sitting down and they think just that one hour of working out in the morning is going to compensate for the, you know, the number sort of 10 hours of sitting. And yeah, exactly. it could be even worse where there's two days where they only go to the gym every, every, every other day. So it's exactly. like one forty-eighth of their of, of a two-day period they've actually spent doing some Yeah, movement. totally. I, I think we learned this um, cool technique as osteopaths when we were, when, you, when you first meet someone for the first time and you, you know, they come to you for a specific problem. But one of the things we were trained to do is take a timeline. So, you know, we think of from the moment they're born to the, to the time they're in front of you, you try and get as much information as you can of all the major life events. Um, mm. uh, some emotional as well, for so you can understand periods of stress they've been, been through, but all the physical stuff from operations, broken bones, um, all sorts, mm. um, accidents, etc. And when you see it on the line, and it, it, because people forget, you know, they forget they broke a bone or they forget they had a car injury or car crash, etc. But when you see it clearly, Mm. and it makes sense so again if you was to get someone to draw a line from eight o'clock to the time they go to bed mm. and and clearly put points like a bar graph when they do stuff you'd see that most of the time the line would be flat yeah. <laughs> and there's not much going on you know mm. um yeah and, and so what, would you, what advice do you generally get because i mean a lot of people listening to this are, are entrepreneurs business owners often who are probably working way too many hours and not devoting as much time to their to looking after themselves as they probably would like yeah what, it, what kind of a, a advice would you give to people make the time it's a choice everybody i know people say oh well i don't have the time um we all have the same amount of time mm. a day is a day we're all on, on the same physical reality it's just what you choose to do with it. i mean i know some people have more choice if they're more financially stable or, mm. or they have more spare cash um, but time's more valuable than money as well. So it's a lifestyle choice. Uh, and you can come up with a million excuses as to why you can't make the time, but you can always make the time. Um, I, I, that might be a bit of a blunt answer, but you have to make the time. And uh, what I would say is start small, um, mm-hmm. try and do a little bit every day until that gets easier. And then you make it, um, you make it more. And what, what kind of things could people be doing? Uh, anything, really, from, I mean, walking is a good thing. It's, very, it's not enough in my eyes. You know, mm-hmm. in, in my head, walking isn't exercise. Yeah. Walking is <laughs> it's like the most um, steady way to get from one place to the other. Mm-hmm. It's what we do when we're cruising. You know, you could eat and walk. Mm-hmm. You know, they say you shouldn't exercise, but I wouldn't say exercise is really walking i mean it can be if you're if you're hiking and you're really going for it but you know mm. but even that is better than nothing uh, yeah. and then eventually you know build up do a bit more try and jog but uh, i know this 5k 
couch to 5k thing was was quite um, popular but then I know a lot of people who buggered up their backs because they've mm. taken a body which has just been used to sitting for years and then they've yeah. tried to run and they don't understand the compressive forces you know a thousand steps two thousand steps easily in like a one kilometer jog um, and it's lots of uh, accumulated stress and their body's not ready for it they get bad you know bad back bad discs bad joints so you've got a you got a condition mm. um yeah but strength training is a good thing um there are lots of bad ways to train as well um mm. and i know there's the internet is flooded with things now so it's, it's kind of hard to, to suss out the, the good from the bad but um yeah what was the the most frequent injury that you saw in your practice? Uh, low back, low back pain. That's very common. I think it's part of the human condition. I've had it myself. Um, if you've never had low back pain, then that, that's a very good thing. You should be proud of that. Um, but I think most people are, are going to experience that at some point. Um, the spinal column. So lower back is very common, followed by the neck. And then on then the peripheral joints, hips and knees, seen a lot of knee problems, lots of foot problems. Mm. Upper limb, not as common, but that's still quite common. Elbow mm. problems, you know, tendonitis, excuse me, um, all sorts. But the lower back is so common, and that's just from too much sitting. We're not so, really designed to sit on our ass. And so how would someone counter that? What, what kind of things could they be doing to try to compensate with that? Uh, so... Spinal compression is the problem. So when, when you, you know, if we were walking, the, the force of the upper body weight would be dissipated into two legs. Mm. But when you sit on your bum, it ends immediately at the, at the lower spine. Does that make sense? Mm. So the force of your body is no longer dissipated into your legs. Yeah. It just goes straight onto the chair. And in wherever you have one force, you have an action-reaction. So however much your body weight is pushing on the seat, the seat is pushing up and into your spine with that same force. Right. So you are compressing your, your lower back even when you're relaxing and sitting. And it's even worse if you slump. Mm. Um, so what you need to do is decompress. Um, mm. So as soon as you stand, you decompress to a degree because the normal standing posture, the pressure within the discs actually decreases. And someone did experiments at some point, I can't remember exactly when, where they actually stuck needles pressure that could detect pressure in <laughs> into people's discs i don't know who volunteered for that and then they they did it in different positions sitting sitting with a rounded back sitting with an arched back lying down you know so standing in a what we'd call a neutral position is, is actually a lot better than sitting sitting with an arched lower back is better than sitting slumped mm-hmm. um, but yeah so it's it's just to try to decrease the time that you compress it so the the advent of standing desks and standing workstations is a really good thing you can take that even more extreme you can hang so if you hang from your arms now your body weight is is working as a tractioning force Mm. you know the fixed point is your hands above your head most of the stretch will go through your upper limb and your shoulders but it will move into the back so mm-hmm. someone who's very tight will feel it mainly in the shoulders. But once the body starts to soften, you mm-hmm. feel the pull dissipating. So you can feel the stretch going all the way down into your pelvis and your lower back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a bit of time. 
one of the things I've noticed at some of the classes that I've done in, in your gym is that most, especially older guys, their legs are so tight. Yes. Hamstrings and hips and so on. Yes. So um, again, oh, sorry. Well, no, go on, go on. I was going to say that that's just another clear example of when you don't use something, you lose it. So range of motion, even though it's not a, a thing in terms of it's not a body part, mm. it's, it's how body parts relate to each other. So if you think of hip range of motion, it's, it's how your, your femur relates to the pelvis Mm-hmm. And, and you know how can it move? How free do they allow each other to move, but yet support each other? So if you don't use your range of motion, you lose it, and the joint will stiffen. And, mm-hmm. and a good example is anybody who's had a fracture, so a broken bone, mm-hmm. and has had to have a period of wearing a cast where one joint is immobilized, even for a short period, as much as four weeks, and 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 the the amount of movement you lose, it, it's incredible. So my son Axel broke his his arm during lockdown and he had a cast from wrist to um above the elbow mm-hmm. and he only had it on for four weeks and when he took it off the amount of elbow movement was so dramatically reduced even though there was only a tiny injury at the elbow mm. you know just from not going through that range and you had to work hard to get it back mm. um so yeah and we see that a lot so for someone who says, oh, I'm really busy, but I do realize the importance and I do need to do something. So what would be, say, for example, should they be training every other day or four times a week and in morning and evening? Or what kind of? Uh, I think um, volume is the key, hmm. but it has to be within one's capacity. Hmm. Um, so a little often is better. Right. So that would be like eating a bit of vegetable every day it's better than mm. better than binging once a week yeah um although the, if you know if, if if all you can get is a binge it's better than nothing yeah um but yeah you know 10 i have a friend in over in sweden who i met through all the gymnastics stuff his name is mats and he's in his 50s he's mm. a good 10 years older than me and he i think he's naturally quite a sporty person he used to do mm. a lot of skateboarding when he was younger but he got into this in his 40s and uh, what he can do now is pretty incredible. And he yeah. started out, I think he said, yeah, like 10 minutes a day, just doing some basic stretches and coming back to things like sit-ups and push-ups. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, now he's at the point where he might train for an hour, hour and a half, but not necessarily every day. Mm. But I'm sure he does something a little bit every day. Um, uh, and would that be split up into some at different parts of the day or just in one in one session that's going to depend on you know i have a good friend in london who's quite busy and he's he wakes up quite early about six and he says if he doesn't take the time to do it um in the morning it's not happening mm. so he does it at six thirty, and he's got into the habit of doing that over you know, four or five years now so it works for him mm. um it really depends you know some people are single they don't have <laughs> Uh, the time constraints of a relationship or they don't have mm. kids. Um, everybody's different, but you've got to squeeze it in. You've got to, you know, make the time. So if, if work doesn't allow for it, do it after work, do it before work. You could do it at lunch, you know. People and, and think, oh, I can't think of anything worse, getting sweaty or, but why mm. not? And I guess from, in your work as an osteopath, you've seen the results for the people who don't, 
devote any time to doing anything like this and the, and the consequences that they've had to face. Yeah, I think it's just a lower quality of life. Mm. Um, you know, in some, you know, you're going to become you know, less able physically. It's mm. going, things are going to start wearing out faster. And then your physical quality of life, um, yeah, I think deteriorates quicker than it than is necessary. Um, Have you ever seen anyone who's sort of relatively quite young had real serious physical problems just purely because they've been so sedentary? I, I don't know if I would say really serious, um, but yeah, I see some. I've seen some young people who, who, who I would say very tight. Mm. Uh, they've lost a lot of flexibility. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say. I, I've treated a few teenagers who had back pain. Mm. I remember thinking that's that's a bit funny. Mm. You know, it shouldn't really be like that. Um, but some of them were were. Um, quite physical i think it was what they were doing mm. you know hard sports rugby which is you know quite strength building but then they would do more gym work but get stronger but never ever any emphasis on flexibility or or, or stretching so you get tighter the body gets tighter and tighter which is mm. not a good thing and with the, I mean, apparently the statistics say that children are getting, at a younger age, there's more obesity around now. Yeah. And I guess that's going to put more, that's going to help. Well, it's not going to help flexibility. Mm, no, I think, so I think there is a, a natural variation in the degree of flexibility that people have. And I think there's a few factors that, that will be determined um, or, or, or that will go into determining that. And I think some of that is uh, there, there are things in the ligaments. So the, our ligaments are made of something called collagen, but they, are, mm-hmm. they have other um, uh, constituent parts and some ligaments in the spine, uh, for ligament and flavor, for instance, has uh, uh, elastin. There's an actual... Um, protein we call elastin which gives it its elastic properties mm. and i think some people will generally have higher amounts of that than others yeah. um, some bodies do tend to be more rigid however if we talk about an individual mm-hmm. um, that's not a fixed parameter that mm. that can be changed it can become stiffer and it can become more flexible then you have the neurological control of of movements um so for anyone who, for any doctors out there or surgeons or anyone who's had surgery, if you muscle relaxants or if you've been put to sleep, mm. um, when we're in deep sleep or we, when we're put unconscious, the body goes, it's almost the muscles lose all their tone and, it, and the body becomes really malleable. Um, mm. And then when we're in the waking state, even when you're not consciously tense in the muscle, the muscle has a degree of tone in it or contractor, um, contractability in it. So I think that's another factor that determines how flexible you are. It's the neurological parts of the central nervous system and local peripheral system that kind of determines how the body's held. Mm. Um, so it's, it's flexible, it's malleable. Um, sorry, I'd a bit, I digressed a bit there. Well, and, and it's funny, when, when you mentioned that, I remember hearing something a couple of years ago that it's important to have a good 
balance of strength, mobility, and flexibility, and not just a lot of people. Well, too many people focus on two of those three rather than all three of them. Yeah, I think when when you strength train, like if you really push and, and you're trying to actually, you know, you're looking for what we'd call hypertrophy, where you're going to get the muscles bigger. Um, if you train in that way where you have to really exert and push, um, you are going to feel tight. You know, even during this during a strength session, you feel like pumped and you feel strong and and, and the body f- you know feels ready. But you, it does create tension. You, you are creating higher degrees of tension. Um, so it's important to counter that. Um, and something I took from the the kung fu and the traditional Chinese philosophy. You know, everyone's aware of the yin and the yang, and the hard and the soft. Um, some people make fun of it, but um, to put it into a practical sense, it's a bit um, it's a bit like dance. You have you could dance in a style that is soft and flowing, and mm. you could dance in a style that is very rigid and tight. Mm. And I think the qualities are in the nervous system. So when you're doing something that is strength based, it's going to be tight, mm. um, and you, you need to, to train yourself to move in a soft fashion as well. So that's the hard and soft, and you need the balance of the two. Mm. Um, especially for athletic development. So being strong is one thing, but if you want to learn a technique to be able to throw or or move an object or or hit or or whatever, then the softness is often, I think, a better technique. Um, You can learn to whip the body, which is a degree of softness, but with the strength as well. So, yeah, you need both. And I guess on the other side of things, I mean, we've been focusing a lot on people who are maybe more sedentary and not doing, focusing on on strength or flexibility or whatever. Mm. Then on the other end of the scale, there's people who work out so hard and don't realize the importance of recovery and et cetera. Yes, definitely. So recovery is massive. It's just, it's more important than the actual, um, I wouldn't say more important, it's just as important as the actual activity. Yes, but... Yeah, so that when people are getting to elite levels, where I mentioned earlier about how much they train, it mm. is possible to overtrain, mm. and, and that's that's a real term used in the sports science world, where the body can be put into kind of a, a detrimental state where the immune system is lowered, um, uh, and it's easier to get ill and to get injured. Resources are, are scarce because they, you know, being you're not allowing enough time for the body to recuperate in between sessions um so that's a really important thing um and also um i've been working with some professional mixed martial artists over the last few years and it's been great learning a lot from them as well Mm. um but yes they were they weren't uh not as flexible as they could have been at the start you know Mm. a couple years later they they're much better now um because of changes we've made to the proportions of what they were doing. Um, yeah, it makes a big difference to overall athletic performance, I think. But for someone who, who maybe doesn't really understand what the word recovery means, it can be, it's very, like some people think, does that just mean taking a day off? I mean, what, what does recovery actually mean? So re- recovery it is, so if you think of hurting yourself, if you were to break a leg, Mm. for instance, you wouldn't be able to carry on walking it like normal. Some people might for a short amount of time if they've got a very high pain threshold or they're very stubborn. Yeah. 
but the body will make them stop. Um, and if, if you don't stop before it's too late, you will get ill. You know, mm-hmm. so if you get the flu, if you get ill, uh, if you catch coronavirus, and I'm just joking, but it, you're in a state that you've allowed yourself to become susceptible to it. Mm. You know, and it is true of coronavirus, like they're saying, certain conditions, diabetes, most people are going to have type 2 diabetes, which is a lifestyle disease, mm. yeah. um, or, 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 or obesity, which is a lifestyle disease. Um, again, you've, you've, you've um, set the scene, you, you, you've allowed the soil to become fertile for that um, mm. problem to, to set in. So uh, recovery is, is, yes, it's when you're sleeping, it's when the body is in its recuperation mode. So you have two systems in the body. You have the sympathetic and, and the um, parasympathetic. They're, they're parts mm. of what we call the autonomic nervous system. Yeah. So it's the nervous system control, doing everything in the background, you know, making your heart beat, um, regulating the, 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 the how, how fast the heart beats, the heart rate, the blood pressure, your digestive juices, etc. Mm. Sympathetic is associated with doing or fight and flight response so when you're active when you're stressed when you're exercising you're in that mode and then when you're chilling out when you're relaxing when you're lying on the sofa after dinner that's your parasympathetic mode yeah um and yeah when you're sleeping there there are different stages but deep sleep is when you your body really relaxes and the muscles actually repair Um, so someone could be getting sleep but they might not be actually getting deep sleep Mm. um and now we have the advent of quite a few new technologies and wearable technologies, which mm. can help us monitor that as well. Yeah. And the importance of sleep is just huge, isn't it? Massive. Yeah, yeah. it's massive. And it's something you can feel, you know, you feel it in the morning, you wake up, you don't really feel that rested. You, mm. That's just, you know, but it's, I think a lot of people don't know how to listen to their body. They've lost mm. uh, that ability to follow their instincts. You know, that you, you don't feel great. You shouldn't really have a crazy day. Um, mm. Don't train well, as hard. And if someone's woke, you know, some, I think sometimes people think, "Well, I've had eight hours in bed, so that meant I had a good sleep." But if you if you wake up and you're not feeling great, then that's telling you you haven't had a good sleep. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, uh, I mean, it's the context of a longer time frame as well. So you can't each day doesn't. Uh, isn't a standalone day so this is really common like people will hurt their back often from an innocuous event like oh i just bent down to pick up a sock and fell off you know fell up fell on the floor out of the dryer or something and then my back went yeah um yes it, it that was the onset of the injury but the stage was set yeah. you know days and weeks and months of yeah. what happened prior so Sometimes if you've had weeks and weeks of overactivity, high level stress, not great sleep, and then suddenly you have one big sleep, mm. you know, you're not going to, even though it might have done good, it's not suddenly going to repair everything from the last two or three weeks. So, yeah, yeah. so sometimes eight hours sleep. I mean, generally speaking, the more you get, the better. Mm-hmm. But then there's the stages, which is becoming more and more common knowledge now. Mm. Um, for, I mean, for people who are lucky enough to live any sort of around or near Gloucestershire, they can attend your gyms in, in Stroud and in Gloucester itself. But 
Yes. For those who are living a bit further further afield, you're going to be, well, by the time this, this episode goes out, you've got some online offerings now. Yeah, so the, we've it's something we've been wanting to do for a while, but we never really had, uh, well, or we never took the time to dedicate um, making it happen, I should say. So lockdown kind of forced us into addressing that. So we during lockdown, we created um, some online material for our members so they could carry on at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we've recently, I think in the last few months, released it to everyone on the internet. We haven't really pushed it or you know, advertised it too hard. Mm. Um, a few teething problems with the delivery. But we're now, yeah, next few days, we'll, we have an on-demand library, which we're hosting through, through Vimeo's on-demand um, service. Got over 100 um, classes now that you can, you can do at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can do that anywhere, and we've designed those classes um, in in the kind of uh, feeling of of lockdown. So not needing much equipment. Mm. I mean, the gymnastic training itself doesn't require a lot. Um, although in the gym we do have you know things like monkey bars, etc., and wall bars. But but to mm. do you can do a lot at home with minimal equipment. You know, the odd chair. And so could come someone who's got very little knowledge about any of these things come and, and do your cl- online classes and know what to do? Yeah, we've made it so that you literally just follow along. So, yeah. you know, you follow. But there, there are some classes which are harder mm-hmm. um, than others. And, um, you know, it will be explained as to which ones you should try first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, also, and also you don't have to do everything that we do during the video some things are going to be too challenging the pace might be a little bit quick but people at home have the luxury of a pause button you know they mm-hmm. can they can do that but i think the main thing is not to be too scared um just to try if some of the exercises feel too difficult then then skip them you know mm-hmm. if we do five reps do one rep but the, yeah. the thing is to do what you can um and yeah, always do what you can, and 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 that will grow. You know? So, what you can do today will be easy for you in, um, say, two weeks. And after mm-hmm. two weeks, you add a little bit more. After months, so um, I, I don't think there's a perfect way to start. I think the main thing is you just start. You see how your body feels. Mm. It's a teething period at first. You adjust. If once a day feels too much, do it once every other day. Mm. Well, yeah, there's no right way. And for where where would people find this? Oh, so you you can find the online material on our website, which is formergym.co.uk. Um, we'll, there's links we'll have that in there. the uh, in the show notes. We'll have a link to that. Yeah. And and if people, so I guess just going to the former gym website will give people information and all the sorts of things, other stuff that you were doing as well. Yeah, you'll get. A, I mean, you can you know read the about page. You can see the instructors. There's lots of images. Um, there's a few free classes on there, um, mm. and then for our Instagram as well. In, Instagram's great because what we do is very, very visual. So mm. our Instagram page has got lots of um, stuff we do. I know we've had a lot of uh, comments over the years that it looks too um, too advanced. Mm. Um, but yeah, we also know that Instagram is a funny thing, and if you show the basic stuff, people are not interested. Yeah, it's <laughs> catching kind of, too. Exactly. So you've got to show some cool stuff. Um, but it is what it is. Um, yeah. Beginners can do it. I mean, you, you know, you've seen we've got 
people of all ages in our classes. Absolutely, um, yeah. It's not easy. We don't want it to be easy because it won't change you. Mm. Um, but we don't force anyone to do more than they're capable. But we yeah, do I mean, push I remember, you. I remember there, there was a lady, and I won't make any names, but she was in her 70s, and the, some of the stuff she was doing was amazing. Yeah, so, so inspirational. I yeah. know exactly who you mean, and I want to be like her when I grow up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Mm. And it's funny because that, that lady in particular had never done gymnastics and has not really been a sporty um, person, but mm. she is extremely active. Mm. Runs around business, avid gardener, keeps animals. I mean, she's nonstop, and that goes to show that you know, you've got to keep busy, you've got to keep doing and your capacity um, and your, your, your ability to do stays high. Mm. Um, Wes, if, if there's, um, is there a book that you've recommended to people, a book that's really been maybe, I don't know, that you just found fascinating or ins- inspirational or, or whatever? Mm, there's a few, but I think uh, there's a book by an uh, English author called James Allen. It's called As a Man Thinketh. Mm. Um, and that book is is in the public domain because it was written, I think, early nine, 19th century, late 19th century or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, brilliant book. Uh, a bit bit heavy to read in terms of the old English um, way of um, speaking. Uh, mm. That's mainly a life philosophy, but that book did wonders for me at some mm. hard times. And um, I always try to remember the teachings of that book and when yeah. was it you that you first came across that mm, I don't know, 10 years ago now maybe um, and I've got copies on my Kindle I've got some hard copies lying around as well um, but yeah it's, it's very I, I love that book um, and it has it's about the mind how you think um, mm-hmm. uh, and your thoughts and- but it also has specific sections like the, the effect on thought on health, the effect mm. on thought on the body, and yeah, it's interesting. And and finally, is there a, a quotation that you particularly like? Yeah, there's a there's a quote I like from that. It says, um, he, "He thinks in secret, and it comes to pass. Environment is but his looking glass." It's quite a. It's not so straightforward to understand at first, but but what it's saying is 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 your your, your internal thoughts are not separate from your outer world, the world and circumstances that you live in. So even though you think in secret, mm. you know, what happens to you and the environment and scenarios and situations you find yourself, mm. that's the looking glass. So you can, you can see the effects of you know, how you think, if only, but you will look at with your looking glass. <laughs> Well, Wes, it's been it's been a pleasure chatting with you for the, for the last what, 55 minutes. Um, yeah, so thank you for, for sharing your knowledge with us. Th- thanks for having me. Cheers, Wes. Cheers, Tony. Next week is episode 20 with Melanie Block. And we're going to explore the world of laughter yoga. And if you're not familiar with laughter yoga... You're going to find out a lot more about it in these times that we're in at the moment and that we've been enduring for the last, what, nine, ten months or however long it is. This is so needed right now. 
It's um, laughter yoga. It's nothing really much to do with yoga, but there is a lot of laughter involved. And there are so many feel-good chemicals just oozing around the body that you feel amazing at the end of it, or even during it as well. I, every time I've done a laughter yoga session, I've ended up with a stomachache from laughing, but just felt amazing. So we're going to find out a lot more about it. It's used in therapy now for certain conditions. So that's next week with Melanie Block. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Please do share it with anyone who you feel could get some real benefit from it. And why not subscribe, leave a review and hope you have a great week.